Podcast live. We are it's recording. A big day. We are recording it live, but also it is December 11th, which happens to be Colby Berg's uh, the better part of this podcast's um, 30th birthday. Big 3-0 today, Cole. How do you feel? Big 3-0, man. Honestly, I feel good. It's kind of crazy. Um, the last 10 years have honestly flown by. It's kind of insane. The craziest thing about it is I realized I'm just as close to 40 as I was to 20, Ooh. and that hits a little hard. But you know, I feel like there's only good things coming this decade, including a jazz championship. So mm. it's kind of funny. I feel like almost the parents that like leave the house for a little while, maybe they go on vacation or something and they leave their kids up to it. And this is by that, I mean like leaving the realms of podcast for the last like month. And now the house is burning down, which is basically jazz fandom as a whole. And so we're here to put out the fire and, uh, hopefully, hopefully bring some sanity and some, uh, honestly clear thinking to the madness that is the jazz season so far. Yeah. It reminds me of this gif and it's not gif at Tom Barnes. It's gif online from community where, um, one of the characters leaves and comes back and literally the entire room's on fire. Um, it kind of feels like that, doesn't it, Cole? It really does. Honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's been, honestly, there's been some dark days, Yeah. but I'm happy to say that we're going to be the torchbearers of optimism. We're going to talk about a few yeah. things that have of course been ugly, some good things, yeah. but so we're going to just cut around everything right now and go straight to the jazz. Um, like Colby said, we're going to talk about good things, but let's get started with the bad things. That I, I mean, everyone's aware that there are things going on with this team that aren't totally exciting and are frustrating. Um, Cole, kind of give me your thoughts on what's been bad and why you think we're underperforming, I guess, for lack of a better term. So if we look at our last eight games, or if we look at the last non-Memphis games really we've been down by more than 20 points in each of those aside from the Memphis games and even at halftime against Memphis the second time we were down 15 or first time excuse me we were down 15 mm-hmm. so we're getting blown out and it's not pretty and there's a few things that we'll talk about as to why but you know ultimately I would say right now when you watch the Jazz you don't see a whole lot of cohesiveness um, now from an analytic standpoint David Locke would say that the starting lineup of the Utah Jazz is actually third in point differential in the entire NBA. And so that tells us one thing, but when it comes down to it, we're still getting blown out by 20. So, um, you know, in my opinion, I feel like even the offense, even the starting lineup, they don't look super cohesive. We don't really have, uh, you know, a whole lot of offense, especially as Conley's been out with his hamstring. And it just looks like there's a lot of guys that really don't know exactly where they're supposed to go or we don't. I think the biggest thing, it feels like we kind of have a lack of like an offensive leader. Um, maybe not from a scoring perspective, but just from like a taking charge and running the offense perspective. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought up the last eight games were two and six, both wins against a terrible Memphis team. Um, I On my notes as well, I brought up how we've been down by 20 points in each and every one of those. <laughs> and the, the real problem too is, from from a high level point of view, is these teams go on runs against us. And we can't seem to really battle our way back or go on a run ourselves. And here's the scariest thing. So I was looking at those charts where you can kind of see the point differential in the games. Um, 
and the trend is our starters go out, like Locke said, it's what, plus 13 and a half over 100 possessions or something like that. Really good, our starters. And that, that starting lineup being Conley, everybody. Conley in that roster. Donovan Mitchell in that roster. Uh, Bogey, Royce, and Rudy have the third best point differential in the league. And then you can see on those graphs as the second or the first quarter winds down and the second starts, it starts trending very poorly in the wrong direction. And then as halftime comes along, the starters are back on. We start working our way to get the lead back that we lost. And then third quarter... Halfway through the third quarter, it just plummets again, and then our starters are just fighting from um, really far behind going into the end of the game, and we can't really find that cohesiveness like you said. And bringing up a little bit from, a, I guess, a scheme point of view, a lot of people are frustrated with Conley and Donovan and the amount of floaters that they're taking. Um, I think someone tweeted that they're number one and number two in the league right now in, in floaters, um, which are not always the best shots to take. Which, you know, everyone, like Andy Larson, things like that, tweet just just raw data without any context behind it. You can get really frustrated behind uh, those numbers. But the fact of the matter is we run a ton of high pick and rolls with Rudy, with those two running it. Um, one point of notice is Rudy's really good of running that pick and roll with Joe. Joe's probably the best to get him the ball or finish himself. But with Mike and... Donovan, we run those high pick and rolls, and the league is guarding Rudy a lot different, where they're jumping out on him more four feet away from the basket, so the lob's gone, and then they're able to guard the rim as well, because Rudy's rolling, he's crashing towards the bucket, and really the only shot we have left at that point is a floater, right? So that's why we're seeing a high amount of those floaters, um, to put some context to that data that everyone keeps tweeting out. I think why we run so many high pick and rolls is probably a comfort thing for Mike, Personally, I would like to see a little bit more of a scheme where we're running things from the two and threes from the corners in. We can still get Rudy uh, involved a little bit by ducking in down to the low block back and forth and then having some movement more around the junction and kind of get that blender offense going. But a lot of it comes down to not having those, uh, I guess, details down in that really, um, I guess, detail-oriented Quinn Snyder motion offense. That's what I'm picking up. It's taking more time for this team to get that cohesiveness, to get that uh, chemistry that everyone's been talking about the first 20-something games of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can tell there's just kind of like a collective frustration really amongst the entire team. I think, you know, Donovan is, has shown that, you know, he gets into kind of bucket scoring mode, which is honestly comes from the best part. We know he's not a selfish teammate. We know he's not someone who's really after the accolades, maybe, you know, maybe part of, uh, you know, his aggressiveness at getting to the rack and trying to finish and shoot the floaters is, you know, maybe with all the talk of, you know, him and Dwayne Wade trying to live up to that, trying to become an all-star for the first year and all those things, um, you know, might be getting to him. That's what some people think. Honestly, I feel like he's, he's honestly just trying to will the team to victory like he has in the past. And those, just because like you mentioned, they're, they're guarding him a little bit differently. Those shots aren't falling and uh, they're just a little more, a little more tough to get. So, you know, I hope that, you know, the, the few games that we have won, and even when we played the Lakers, um, they the kind of kept us in the Laker game for a little while. And then in the Milwaukee Bucks game that we lost, uh, our three point shooting has been fantastic. I think we're the, the highest corner three shooting team in the league. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is just, you know, when we have our drivers like Donovan or Moutier or whoever's getting to the rack to keep their eyes up, because if they're going to crash from the weak side, we're going to have, you know, somebody sitting in the corner there. And so you can tell some games that really clicks and when it clicks, we shoot really well. And then other games, maybe it's not clicking for one reason or another. 
and uh, you know we tend to struggle a little bit more. So I think it's really just a matter of them feeling comfortable. And kind of like you mentioned, even though Conley's been out for a little bit, um, you know, Donovan running the point and with Moody running the point and Joe running the point, it's just kind of a, a herky-jerky offense that, that doesn't have a whole lot of direction. And so I think it'll change. Again, I think it's a comfort thing. But, you know, between Donnie and Bogdanovich trying to assert themselves and figure out how to be kind of a number one number one scoring option within, you know, with two number one scoring options on the team, yeah. it's just a learning process. It almost feels like those two can't find cohesiveness on like a 1A, 1B, or even a 1 and 2. It's kind of like, all right, this possession's going to Bogey, this possession's going to Donnie, and there's no fluidity between the two, which yeah. is kind of frustrating. And we'll, I'll be honest, one thing that's a little scary, or that was scary, and then I kind of thought about it for a little while, is there'd be times where, like, Bogdanovich would, would take to the rack, or he'd, he, he'd dominate a possession, and, you know, Donovan would be open, and he'd, he'd throw his hands up, you know, ready to receive a pass, and the pass wouldn't come, and then vice versa, where Donnie would go to work and break down his defender, and, you know, Bogdanovich, maybe the defender would help off Bogdanovich, and that would leave Bogdanovich open for three, and he'd put his hands up, and, you know, he wouldn't get the ball, and, and there was, you could tell there's frustration, and some people, I think, maybe are probably reading a little too far into that because obviously they're competitors and, you know, they obviously are open and they have confidence in themselves. But I think for any team, and we'll kind of talk about this in a minute, but for any team going through struggles, it's those struggles are always exacerbated when you have a bunch of players with crazy egos. But I think this team, because they're, they actually are team, they're great teammates and they play for each other and, you know, maybe they'll miss things here and there. But I guess I'm not as frustrated by the, maybe by the frustrated looks that we've seen on the yeah. on the floor. Yeah, I mean there's a few th- there's there's a few worrisome things I guess when you look at the team and you can see their body language is it's almost like they're trying so hard and they're in their own heads and they're losing. Um, we seem to be at our best when we're not thinking, we're just playing basketball and we're playing the way the Jazz play basketball. You, we saw that the Memphis game just barely where we killed them. Um, hopefully we do that tonight against the Timberwolves because I hate the Timberwolves and I hate Carl Anthony Towns. Somehow he's the league bad boy now because he got in one little kissy fit fight. So um, really excited to see how the team responds because there's a lot of stuff going on online um, from fans and from jazz media that's really throwing everyone on this team under the bus. I saw a crazy tweet today. Um, Shout out to Max sending it to me in the first place, but a guy saying, well, we need to start looking elsewhere for a coach because Quinn's not playing Dante Exum, which is which is absolutely insane to me. So people are really losing their minds and throwing out crazy takes right now. Uh, I think we need to calm down. Historically, this team, especially under Quinn Snyder, we have slow starts. We're usually around 500, a little above 500. Um, as the seasons start in the first quarter of the season, we're right on pace for that. Uh, the biggest frustration, I guess, is how we're losing these games by getting down 20 and not being able to uh, withstand or go on big runs ourselves. But I'm actually not as panicked as I think the rest of Jazz Nation is. I don't want to say Jazz Nation. I hate that <laughs> um, as, as much as the rest of the fan, fans are. Um, go on. No, I was going to say, it just sucks to be considered being the same to to associate yourself with some of the madness of quote unquote jazz fans online. That's all I was gonna yeah. say as far as jazz nation is concerned. And this is let's let's talk let's talk a little bit of optimism, Kolb. What are things that we're lacking out of this team, and what are things people can hang their hats on as we still continue to morph into what hopefully is a strong playoff team? 
Um, the first thing I'll say is just uh, just to kind of highlight what you already mentioned. This team and Jazz teams in the past, every year that Quinn has been the coach, we end up peaking towards the end of the year. And Conley came out and said it, he feels like he's learning a second language. Everything's still second nature. So I, I totally believe that's going to come around. Um, the, the other thing, for whatever reason, people at work always come up to me and say, hey, we're six in the West. What's going on? And people never understand that literally the last three years in the West is the second th- seed through the eighth seed has been separated by like two games. And so if we look at the West right now, yes, we're in sixth, but we look at the teams ahead of us. The Denver Nuggets, the Houston Rockets, the Mavs, and the Clippers and Lakers. The Nuggets and the Rockets have been losing games too. They're they're literally a game and a half ahead of us. Um, the the Rockets are what two and a half ahead of us. So it's not like this is way out. We're way out of sorts. I think the Mavs are going to fall off. The Mavs have had a super easy schedule, and they've they've run in. I mean, they beat the Lakers just barely, but they've had, I mean, pretty soft schedule. I think from an optimistic standpoint, through January twenty fifth, there's like three games that might well that are more potentially more talented than our team that where we'd have issues. We're more talented than every other team that we play until January 25th. So, I mean, whether or not we actually beat them is going to come down to whether or not we find the cohesiveness, but I feel like we've got a long runway here to, to get things figured out from a standpoint of optimism. Yeah. One thing for me too, is Donovan's playing career levels. He's, he's continuing to progress his game. And a lot of people are frustrated with uh, the slump that he was in a few, what, two weeks ago. He's kind of getting out of it. He started the game great. Uh, we need to be behind Donovan Mitchell and not on Donovan Mitchell. Twitter, you're a joke. I don't understand you. I don't understand the pessimism. I don't understand, like, the entitlement that jazz, jazz fans have. We have a superstar that wants to be on our team and wants to be in Utah. And we have the audacity to at this guy and tell him that he needs to pull his head out when, I mean, he very well could leave in seven years. I mean, we... We were Gordon Hayward apologists for seven years, and Donovan's been better than Gordon ever has been for the Jazz since day one. So, Jazz, calm down. Jazz fans, calm down. Please calm down about Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> um, another thing is Rudy's been great. I think Rudy, something clicked in Rudy. He's always had that fight in him, but every game, game in and game out, when he's on the floor, he's a huge difference maker. And I think with our bench, the biggest fall off, we can talk about Moutier and the amount of uh, mid-ranges he takes and how he doesn't really look at other players to get involved. But but Rudy defensively, and this isn't a shot at Ed Davis because Ed Davis is, I, I love Ed. I think he's great for the team. P-E. P.E. physical Ed. But he's not Rudy Gobert. And Rudy's impact defensively is noted. But offensively, his screen assists, and this is something that Doris Burke was talking about. <laughs> I mean, she was absolutely into this when, when she covered our game. But Rudy's screens, uh, he gets a lot of open looks for our guys. It's just something that can't be repeated by anyone else on this floor. We, that's a big step down from Derek Favors last year. So my hope is our second unit finds some cohesiveness and at least doesn't get blown out while they're on the floor so our starters can come back in and do what they do best. And that's, you know, play good basketball. Yeah. So two things there. First, um, to comment on the hate that Donovan's getting right now, um, Tyson... Barlow and I had a conversation about this on Saturday, and then we talked about it a little bit more at dinner with Tom. Um, shout out, shout sh- out, Ty! Shout out, Ty! Skull Vikes, Skull, go Kirk, baby, go Kirk. Um, so one thing that sucks about the internet, the internet's great, but one thing that sucks is it gives a lot of people that normally would have that don't have the intelligence normally to actually have a public platform, but it gives them a voice, and that can be good and bad in a lot of ways. 
But what, especially bad when it comes to sports, I feel like, because there are people that don't have nuanced opinions that can honestly affect the mood and the overall just feel, um, you know, that a player can have after a game. Like you go on and someone like Andy Larson will tweet something, you know, negative about Donovan shooting floaters. And before you know it, he'll have like 60 responses, 60 comments. Everybody's saying Donovan needs to cool out. Donovan needs to chill. Donovan's selfish. Donovan this, Donovan that. And they don't realize that, that stuff actually has an effect on players. And just kind of like you mentioned, this is Donovan's third year. And these the, these people that are tweeting those types of things are probably the same people that cried themselves to sleep after Gordon left for like four weeks. And this is Donovan's third year. Think about what year, how great or how good Gordon was in his third year. Exactly. It's not even a comparison. It's not close. It's not even close. Not to mention from a just like an on the court standpoint. But off the court, how many times do you see, you know, Gordon doing all the things that he does for the community in the state of Utah, um, you know, all over the place? In fact, um, a couple days ago, one of my a guy I work with um, was just driving around in his Jeep, and Donovan pulled up next to him in, in Salt Lake, just unrolled his window, and, and he said, "Hey, nice Jeep, man!" Like the coolest thing, like this random mid forty year old dude, um, just minding his own business, and Donovan pulls up and says, "You know, hey, you know, great Jeep." Like he had no reason to do that. There was literally no point in that. Gordon would never do that. So not only is, is Donovan better on the court in his third year, and that's not even close, like it's not even worth commenting on. Second, he's great for the community, and I'm not going to say that all these negative tweets and things are going to you know cause Donovan to want to leave in a couple years, but I feel like a lot of people just don't realize how good we have it. And yeah, Donovan's in his third year. He's going to learn. He's going to get better. He has the athleticism. He has the talent. We've seen him do it. It's just really a matter of you know moving to that next level that Gordon hasn't even been to so well people need to cool here's the thing too if you look at his numbers if we if we take a step back and just look at what he's done game in and game out he's having an all nba season he's having an all nba season level right now and we have the audacity to call this guy out because he takes too many floaters right now first of all here's the thing about the floaters yes we're probably taking too many but everyone thinks because david Locke talks about good shot percentages with at the, either you're at the rim or you're taking threes. Yes, in a vacuum, that's the way you want to play basketball. But these NBA defenses are designed to take that away from people. And sometimes you just got to take the best shot that's there. Right? Like this isn't pickup ball. This isn't college. This isn't high school basketball where you probably can get looks at the rim or college basketball take a million threes. This is the NBA designed to stop these plays. And sometimes a player needs to just step up and get a bucket. Okay, people, calm down about the floaters. It'll it'll make sense when we start expanding our offense, but right now, you just need to calm down. I'm sick of hearing about floaters. And everybody, if, if you're really concerned about Donovan, go back and watch his first year. Go back and watch how he played. Go back and watch how he was defended, first of all, and now go watch how he's playing now and how he's being defended now. He's a million times better than he was. He's being defended by... Obviously, player teams that have scouting reports, just like you mentioned, on it. He's he's the number one, um, the number one target on scouting reports. Um, so people just need to let him live. Get off Twitter, chill out, find some friends in real life, take some deep breaths, find yourself some good friends like Carl and Tom and Kurt and uh, people in your group message that help walk each other yeah. off the cliffs when things look dark. And that's the thing, guys. Like we sit in our group text and say some incredibly negative things towards each other, but we keep it contained to ourselves. Don't go to Twitter and spread this. 
Keep it to yourself so you can vent to people about things, but Twitter's not the place to do it, especially if you're adding the athletes. If you're adding them, then you're honestly just a douchebag and I have zero respect for you. 100%. Um, I think we've said all we need to say there. It's true. Guys, let the freaking players live. And honestly, if you're so mad about things in real life uh, that you have to tweet them online, you just need to re-examine and look yourself in the mirror and then uh, probably just like log out of Twitter for a little bit. So... And before we get off the jazz subject, uh, real quick, we've been going about this for about 25 minutes. I just want to give a shout out to Tony Jones, um, the voice of reason on Jazz NBA Twitter from the media. He He's not a jazz fan. He's pretty objective at the way he looks at things. If I, if I suggest anything to anyone, don't follow, especially don't follow Andy Larson and take what he says seriously. I mean... Locke is okay. Locke will... The thing about Locke is that he'll get down on people, but sometimes he'll point out what's good, which is nice. But Tony says it how it is, and he's pretty dang accurate right now with uh, with what he's, what his point of view on basketball. I think he makes a lot of sense. He brings in stats and context, so he's bringing in um, both sides, both points of view. I, th- I feel like Jazz Nation gets super caught up on just stats alone. Tony brings context to those stats, so it actually makes sense to the game. Everyone, follow Tony Jones. Shout out Tony Jones NBA. Shout out Tony Jones NBA. He's the man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'll just follow that up with one more thing. Like, It's just crazy how... And I think Locke does it inadvertently. I don't know if, if Larson's intentions are as pure. But they'll tweet out things, and then all of a sudden, the, the whole freaking fan base is yeah. riled up. And I do realize that, honestly, a lot of the people tweeting out are the vocal minority and maybe 2% of the fan base. But it just sucks, again, that those idiots have a platform and... Freedom of speech is a thing, but still um, try and have some emotional intelligence. But yeah, there we are. Shout out Tony Jones. Shout out TJ. Reverse shout out Andy Larson. Sorry, dude. <laughs> All right, let's get cheery. Let's get in the holiday spirit. The holiday spirit. They're oh, upon us, dude. They're upon us. Uh, whatever creed religion you fall under to, Colby and I both celebrate Christmas, so we're going to get Christmassy right here. Colby, it's Christmas time. It is Christmas time, dude. It's honestly, it's my favorite time of the year, 100%. That's a cliche thing to say, but how could it not be? You know, what's really funny for me, growing up, obviously, I wanted to be with my friends all the way through the holidays, but now that we're, I'm approaching fatherhood and things like that, I'm really enjoying my time with my family a lot more than I used to. Um, Emily's family as well, shout out the Banner Clan. Um, doing puzzles, just sitting around and hanging out, family time, it's been great. Friend time, it's been great. Um, everyone just seems to be in a good mood around the end of the year because it's Christmas. I'm, the only thing I'm hoping for right now that I don't know how things are going to pan out is we get some snow on Christmas. Dude, we've been way lucky the last few years. We've gotten the good good amounts of snow on, on Christmas to have some white Christmases. And on Thanksgiving, obviously, we got pounded by snow, and that was fantastic. And I'm kind of the same way. Honestly, I think, you know, when I look back at all the Christmases in the past, I think the, the times I've enjoyed the most have always been with family. My mom's family is super close, and they all live, for the most part, in, like, Davis County. And so... It's always a good time to get together and kind of have the the traditions that sound kind of lame, just getting together and eating and yeah. doing a bunch of dumb stuff. And so fun. It, it's always a good time. And so, given the fact that I don't have a family of my own at this <laughs> point, that's what I look forward to. But it also, one thing I have noticed, not to get into grass is greener because we're not going there today, but I feel, uh, I think there, there is something in the air where you feel like you want to date a little bit more and, you know, do more fun things with, uh, with, with lady friends. And so, I don't know. It's just a festive time. You know what's great about Christmas music, too? Just to bring up Christmas music. Talk to me. Pop Punk puts out a lot of good Christmas music. A lot of good covers. 
there's a lot of great covers out there in general, especially with the pop punk scene. Um, do you have a favorite one in particular? Uh, shout out to Yellow Cart's cover of Coldplay's Christmas Lights. Fantastic. Shout out to the main Ho Ho Hopefully. I love that song. Shout out to Newfound Glory. They got a couple. Um, my favorite is Nothing for Christmas. Not the popular song, their own version of one. Uh, really good. Um, let's see, who else do I, I love? There's a few more I'm missing out here. Dude, I mean, a special plug to the Reliant K Christmas oh, yeah. album. That one's like, that's probably one of my favorite. They do such a great job let with Let it Christmas. snow, baby, let it reindeer, I believe, but it's spelled reindeer like the like the animal that Santa uses to pull a sleigh. Yep, yep. Yep, great Christmas album. Um, Good King's Wenseless. Good King <laughs> Wenseless is the closer track. That's a classic if you guys want to listen to that. Um, another shout out to the, the Taylor Swift Christmas album. It's a good one. Yeah. And then, uh, again, hopefully, I know we talked about this last time, but I don't think a lot of you idiots voted on the Bieber, uh, liked his picture enough because I think he's only got like 12 million. So we need all of our 8 million listeners to go <laughs> hurry and go like that picture so we can get another Biebs Christmas album. Uh, we don't have 8 million listeners, just so you know. Um, what's your favorite, since we're, we're talking about things Christmas media wise, what's your favorite Christmas movie? So I have two things to talk about here. Um, first, I have to get this off my chest because I, now I finally have a public forum to do so. Hold on. Am I going to have to open the windows? This is going to be a hot take. <laughs> it's not a hot I'm take. Not... It's not a hot take, but it's. I feel like I was at one point the Grinch um, when it came to a specific movie, and now my heart's grown three sizes bigger. So everybody loves a Christmas story. Yeah. Everyone um, says you look like the kid from the Christmas story. And for that very freaking reason... I had a really hard time enjoying watching the Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, um, probably until honestly like five or six years ago. Um, I'm not kidding. Probably from the ages of four to ten, everywhere I went when it was Christmas time, whether it was, I remember specifically one instance walking into Sizzler. Of all things, first of all, my dad was sick for taking us to Sizzler. <laughs> Shout out Morley. I think Morley likes Sizzler, yeah? <laughs> I think he does. Shout out Paul. It's not, not surprising. Shout out to their Malibu chicken. Um, we, we went in and... I remember the the person that checked us in said, "Hey, you look like the kid from Christmas Story. What's his name?" And then I said, I said with a sad, somber tone, "Ralphie." And she's like, "Yeah, that's him. You look like Ralphie." And then, uh, literally that same day, the person that was like doing our drinks said the exact same thing. Oh my gosh! And so, uh, but that yeah, that happened a lot for for a lot of years and for a long time. I was pretty jaded towards the Christmas Story, but um, I've embraced it recently. Nice. You watched it recently. I haven't watched it this year, but I watched it once or twice last year. Okay. So I'm coming around to it. But my favorite all-time Christmas story or Christmas movie, I'm going to have to say... It might... Honestly, it might be Elf. Okay, that's it, great. It really might be Elf. It's a newer one. It's not the... It's not it's like It's not a, as new as you think. I remember watching it at Sean Webb's house when it first came out in probably, what, 2003? 2003, right on... Nail on the head. How about that? So, yeah, crisp 16 years ago, but I think Elf is probably my cri favorite Christmas yeah. movie, for sure. Elf is fantastic. Uh, laughs throughout. Good good Christmas uh, message at the end. Shout out, Elf. Um, I do like a lot of the classics, like classics for us, Home Alone, Home Alone 2. <laughs> um, going to throw out a fire take right now. Please don't say Die Hard. I can't do this. I do love Die Hard. Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever. Unreal. Shout out Mark Kaiser. Unreal. Shout out Mark Kaiser. Um, but I'll ride and die for the Santa Claus. One and two. The third one sucks. True. Um, I will ride and die. Actually, a new Chris the new Christmas one on Netflix, Klaus. I haven't seen that one. Fantastic. Everyone what? go watch Klaus. Jared Klaus? <laughs> 
Will the bailiff strike that from the record, please? <laughs> Shout out, Brother Klaus. Go to bed. Shout Let us play Klaus. hoop in Carl's backyard in peace, please. <laughs> Let us play some pickleball at midnight. Um, but my final take is I don't think the Grinch is that good. I, re- which, I really which Grinch? The animated or the Jim Carrey? No, the Jim Carrey one. I honestly don't think it's that good. <sighs> yeah, I honestly I like the animated one more. Um, the animated one being the old cartoon or the one that came out last year? Uh, the old, old cartoon. Okay. Um, yeah, the Jim Carrey one, I'll definitely sit down and watch it. It's not going to turn me off, but it's, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't quite have the pizzazz that the old animated one does. I mean, we get the Grinch origin story. We get the weird, we get Whoville, which is nice, but there's just something about it that I don't love anymore. Um, shout out to my wife, Emily, who might be mad. I think that's her favorite Christmas movie, so I'm sure I'll be watching it, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say... The Grinch is overrated, but switching gears to what is the best Christmas movie I think of all time and something that needs to be uh, revered as at least one of the top five. Everyone loves, you know, Wonderful Life, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I will I will die on any hill that involves a Muppet Christmas Carol. I can't argue. Honestly, I cannot argue. It is, without a doubt, the best Christmas Carol rendition I've ever seen. Michael Caine plays a great straight man. He doesn't even act like anything is weird with being in Muppet World. And they do a great job on making it viewable for children. And the songs are catchy as all get out. I will die on any hill that anyone wants to argue that A Muppet Christmas Carol is not one of the best Christmas movies ever made. I think when you actually, when you look at Christmas movies and when you're judging them, you have to look at like the Christmas spirit that they promote and like how jazzed you are about Christmas and just kind of the overall... The overall season, I honestly feel like Christmas Carol does that because you learn some heartwarming stories. Yeah. You learn the true meaning of Christmas for the most part, and uh, but it's still and you know the Muppets make it kind of funny too. So yeah, way funny. Pretty pretty enjoyable. Marley Marley song's great. I have to I have to give another shout out to and this is something that I don't know if you can tell me if you guys back in the day if you guys watched these but did you ever watch the claymation like oh yeah with Snow Miser and Heat Miser a year without a Santa Claus yep. Frosty the Snowman all those yep dude I don't know what it is about those. They're honestly, <laughs> they look super janky when you watch them on, on TV these days, but they, they, if they are probably, they're not my favorite Christmas movies cause they're not necessarily movies. I call more shows, but like they're a must when it comes yeah. to Christmas, like the year with the year without a Santa Claus in particular, I love the snow miser and heat miser, but, uh, those, those claymations are, uh, are a bird family staple and I'm a big fan. Yeah. I think they, they definitely are ingrained in the fabric of very early Christmases where when you were a kid, you were so excited. You were sick, uh, the night before (laughs) those, (laughs) those, uh, old Christmas, uh, I guess shows, they're only like what, 25 minutes long. Um, definitely, they definitely have a special place in my heart as well. I don't know why I'm about to admit this right now, but for any, any, uh, potential, uh, dating prospects out there, just pause or just fast forward this next part because this is not flattering, but I remember, (laughs) I think it was in second grade. No, it was. I th- no, it wasn't in second. Well, actually, yeah, it was. That's when Nintendo sixty four came out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was. It was around. Yeah, it was around. Or maybe. Wasn't that ninety eight? Yeah, it was around ninety eight. We were eight years old, which means probably I don't even know first or second grade. What is that? Yeah. Anyway, I remember I unwrapped it, and as I was unwrapping it, I saw what it was. I started dry heaving because I was so <laughs> happy. <laughs> To this day, it's the greatest. I literally had to run in the bathroom and like I hadn't eaten anything yet because I didn't want to eat breakfast because I was so I was too 
too stoked. Oh I wasn't even God. hungry. But I was so stoked that I got an N64 and I saw Star Fox in there with yep. uh, with Diddy Kong Racing. And I can't remember what other games. I think Super Mario came with it too. And I just couldn't contain my excitement. And to this day, I'll probably say that was my favorite Christmas present I ever, even though it's greedy and we shouldn't talk about the Christmas presents we received, it was my favorite Christmas present of all time. <laughs> For, the 64 was a game changer. I remember the Christmas we got it that night. My mom, brother, and I, shout out Kathy and Kent, we stayed up very late. I, we were both, my mom and I were both watching Kent play Ocarina of Time late into the night, and it's one of my favorite Christmases I ever had. So, shout out 64, shout out childhood, <laughs> shout out Christmas movies. This, th- we, haven't, we haven't previously discussed talking about this right now, but it might be a funny conversation. <laughs> if there are little kids listening, you might have to uh, tune out now. Um, uh oh, where's this going? <laughs> you, might, you might have to tune out, so I'm giving you fair warning. Um, Earmuffs. Richens, if you're listening, I know. I know you've got a couple little ones that, that might be in the Santa Claus spirit, so go ahead and pause this. Um, Kurt, let's talk Santa Claus. Okay, let's talk Sanny. So, were you a believer in Santa Claus once upon a time? Wholeheartedly. When, when and how, like, what was the, what was the straw that broke the camel's back you that kind of dispelled your disbelief? What's really sad about this is I don't remember when I found out he like there was no defining moment. I think it was some one of the years between one Christmas and another. You just kind of find out um, through either just older kids at school or something, an older brother of a friend. Um, I don't exactly remember anyone telling me. You're laughing. You have a story. I just re- I just remembered something. Go ahead. I'm still listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's really it. You know. And then I remember the year I was probably the average age when you find out. But I thought I was conning my mom when looking back at this, I just made her life more miserable because it was more work for her. But I knew Santa Claus didn't exist and there weren't a ton of presents under the tree. And my mom, I told my mom, it's like, it's okay, Santa Claus is coming. (laughs) Thinking that I'd get more presents, but in reality, it just made her have to hide more and wrap more later that Christmas Eve night. So I'm sorry sorry to Kathy for doing that to you. That's a clutch move, honestly. Um, Con since day one. So two things. One... I remember in kindergarten, I lived in Arizona, and there was this girl that I had a crush on in my kindergarten class. Shout out to Miss Gargle. She was my uh, kindergarten teacher. Gargle? Gargle, believe Where's it or not. Where's this at? Is this in Arizona? In Arizona, okay. yeah. And uh, I remember it was, we were getting close to Christmas time. We were making our Christmas stuff, and this girl who I had a crush on, Caitlin, she, Shout out Caitlin. she told us that her and her family didn't believe in Santa Claus, and there was literally an audible gasp in the entire classroom. And I just remember like always, I kind of lost my flame for her a little bit because <laughs> like she didn't believe in Santa and it kind of put a damper on my love. And I never, honestly, I could never look at her the same. Um, and then there was a time, it was probably a few years later. So into like, into third grade or so, you know, you're eight or nine, whatever we were. Probably, honestly, I think it might've been the year after I got the N64 um, I, my belief started to wane a little bit. I didn't like, I didn't know exactly what to think. And I was just like kind of happy that presents kept showing up. So it was fine. And then I remember Christmas morning, <laughs> we, we had our tree up in like our night, like the nice room or whatever you call it. I don't know why we call it that, but like the, like yeah, the, the room that no one goes the in. The room that no one goes in. Exactly. And we always leave, we always left crackers and stuff out for Santa. And so it was always the thing where you leave cookies and crackers out like everybody does almost. And I remember we... <laughs> We walk in there and there's presents and stuff, and the uh, the the cookie plate was on the floor upside down, 
and the crackers were gone and there were crumbs on the floor. And my dad was so pissed at Santa. He was, he put on this huge show about how pissed he was because they were way strict about going in that room as it was. And so when there were cookie crumbs on the carpet in that room, I, I couldn't, I could not believe that he would put that there. He wouldn't do that. He being and, Santa Claus? No, he being my dad. So okay, like, okay. It, it had to have been someone other than my dad, my sister, or my mom. Because there's no way that they would allow crumbs on the floor. So Santa had to be real. So you found conviction in I your honestly, faith in Santa. I, my faith was renewed for another like three years. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I was dead serious. I, I, I was shook. I was, I was honestly shook. And I think I probably got, I don't know, some cool presents then too. I was way yeah. stoked. I'm always stoked on Christmas and... And that, that did it for me for another three years. I was probably like <laughs> nine or ten when I, when I finally gave up. But Shout out Todd for the gambit there. It was, it was impressive. I don't even know if he did it on purpose. I don't know. But my dad's not a person that really gets mad. And he was visibly furious that morning uh-huh. at the crumbs. So I was... So this, this is a good place to segue into um, favorite traditions in Christmas. And we can do this. We can do this in two ways. One being just like grand scheme of things that everyone kind of follows in and then your family specific traditions that you love. For me and Emily, we're in a funny place where we're kind of just figuring out our own traditions and how that kind of happens is you bring in both families and kind of mold it to what you do. Uh, one thing that I want to do when we have our son, when he's old enough to kind of recognize what's going on, my mom used to put um, like footprints, like snow it was like powdered sugar or something like that but with santa claus boots so you could see where he walked around the house oh yeah yeah i love that so that's something i like to incorporate i know shout out tom uh, he goes outside his kid's house with the um sleigh bells and rings and yells ho 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 so um ella and roman know that you know santa claus came to their house that's so dope. um anything anything that the bergs did that you loved um i'm trying to think so nothing like they didn't do anything uh, my parents didn't do like anything like at night or anything aside from, I'm trying to think tradition wise, nothing super duper unique. I don't know if this is a thing. Like I remember in Christmas morning, like my parents always do like these, they call them like the favorites bag uh-huh. where you have a bag of like your favorite cereal, your favorite, your favorite, like cookies or like whatever your favorite drinks, like all, all of your favorite, like treats of food and stuff. They jam all into a bag. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like that's always, I don't know, a thing that I guess it's kind of unique and stuff, but not not super duper. Um, they throwing bangs in there this year. I don't know. I haven't had a bang since Hawaii. Good. That Honestly, was just, good. That was, that was that was a crazy week. Shout out Flint. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, but there's nothing like super super unique. Um, like I said, we're way tight with my mom's family, and so we always get together and on Christmas Eve, and we always have like a musical talent show. And heaven knows that none of us actually. I have some aunts that are pretty actually super musically talented, but the rest of us really aren't. But we always like act like we are and try and do a bunch of like musical stuff. And so I think one year I played, uh, I played jingle bells on like the Tycho xylophone. Um, this year I might be busting out a little piano serenade. Dang. So we'll see how that goes. Um, what song? Probably jingle bells <laughs> or hark the Herald angels sing. That's a we'll good see. one. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know, screwing around family. One thing that my wife's again, shout out Emily for the millionth time this pod. Uh, her family does. Her grandma does a live nativity with all her cousins. That's cool. And it's funny because a lot of them are getting older. So you have like 17 year olds dressing up as angels and as wise men and things like that. So it's kind of funny to see the kids uh, roll their eyes, but it's also funny to see the adults love it as much as they did as I'm sure they were young. Totally. Um, the only reason Emily doesn't have to do it is because she's married now. So shout out to me, Emily, you're welcome that you don't have to do the, the Christmas thing anymore. Dude, watch out. They might turn you into uh to Joseph and Mary. You got that beard going Whew. right now. Maybe, maybe when baby comes. 
Uh, we'll be doing that next year. That sounds like it's a lot. Oh, man. Um, in terms of just this time of year and what people do, I just, I don't want to get too cheesy here, but I really do feel like a lot of people give a lot of stuff. Uh, charities seem to go up, so shout out to Humanity for doing that. Uh, Christmas is just a good vibe, man. Christmas lights are fun. Um, I made an made a note to hang Christmas lights this year. One thing, because my dad was Ebenezer Scrooge and never wanted to do them, so um, I will always, as long as I am able to climb a ladder, we'll be doing Christmas lights. I was gonna say when I walked in here, like I said, we're filming, we're doing this at Kurt's house. I saw the uh, I saw the lights around the fence, and I was I was pretty darn impressed. Um, but yeah, it's a fun time, like especially when there's snow. I feel like the world just kind of slows down, and doesn't matter who you are, or what you're doing. I feel like things kind of the season just takes you back, you know, nostalgically back to. Uh, you know, to happier times, everybody's just in, in good spirits and, you know, whether you've got a ton of money or you don't have a ton of money, it's just, you know, getting together with family and, um, you know, remembering the reason for the season. So it, it's a good time for sure. Yeah. Um, shout out Christmas. Shout out elves. We all know you're up there working really hard. Shout out Rudolph. If things get bad and you get called up, uh, again to do your thing. Um, Cole, do you know who has a lot of Christmas movies? Tell me. Disney Plus. You know what else is on Disney Plus? Yes, sir. Mandalorian. <laughs> Fantastic. This is great. Uh, we caught that because we're live in the same room. Kolb, what do you think of The Mandalorian so far? Dude, I'll be honest. I'm way impressed with The Mandalorian. I know there was tons of hype. It was. I didn't actually dive into I wasn't one of the 10 million people that subscribed to Disney Plus on the very first day. Um, I think a couple weeks like went by and everybody was, was talking about The Mandalorian. It got a ton of good reviews and um just a lot of approval overall and so i was like all right and it just so happened that my sister and her husband signed up and so i uh i jumped onto their little their little thing and um i, I binged the first four episodes i think just right off the bat and it's fun it's uh it's, it's, it's just kind of a different take on i mean it's obviously in the star wars universe but on uh you know centered around some kind of mysterious uh race in in the mandalorian and a specific character and it's got a lot of a lot of just like I don't know, fun elements to it as a TV show, you know? I think what's really good about this show is it kind of does what the original Star Wars trilogy do did, and that's just put us in in a story and not tell us everything that... We don't need to know everything, but they're showing us a lot of things. That we, we know that this is after Return of the Jedi, so we see a lot of... Well, the stormtroopers we do see are all are battered up. Uh, their armor's not super clean. It's heads all, on spikes. Yeah, heads on spikes. The ATST is rusty. It looks like a monster. Sounds like a monster squeaking around. Um, we understand the state of things by just having them show us in this immersive way. Uh, one thing I do love about this is it's kind of shot in a western. Um, kind of shout out to the old spaghetti westerns where uh, they're kind of quiet, not a lot of dialogue. And you just see a guy walking around doing sweet stuff. Um, I, you can tell that they brought a lot of that influence in from those Clint Eastwood spaghetti western, like um, Fistful of Dollars, a few dollars more, whatever it is, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, a lot of inspiration from there. But what it just comes down to is you got a cool guy in cool armor doing cool things, and it's been really fun to follow. Um, in terms of Star Wars canon, I don't know what the Mandalorians fully are. I know they address them quite a bit in the... Um, the tril what's the, what's the animated series? Clone Wars. The Clone Wars animated series. They're in that quite a bit, um, but I know in what they call Legends, which is the expanded universe from before Disney bought it and made everything either canon or not. Uh, the Mandalorians had a ton of history behind them, so I hope probably not in this season. I think we're going to more understand 
Mandalorian himself by the end of this season, but as seasons continue to progress, uh, we learn a little bit more about different races within Star Wars, and uh, we get just um, more out of it. And shout out Baby Yoda. He's one of the most adorable things I've ever seen. Dude, Baby Yoda's so cool. I was so surprised when, I'm not going to give it, if you guys haven't watched it, go watch it. We won't go through spoilers this time because we're still just, we're only like four or five weeks in. But yeah. Baby Yoda's fun. I'm sure you've seen the memes. Um, he's super cute. If he dies, I'm going to riot. But There's uh, no way. Yeah, there's no way, but you never know. Um, favorite episode so far? Uh, episode three is my favorite so far. Same. Episode three was really fun. Four was, I thought the acting in four from like some of the characters was a little eh, and the story was just kind of like, yeah. yeah but um four I'll, had some good action um you can tell when mma fighters like i don't know her name but who's playing that other chick yeah yeah um i think she's an mma fighter sometimes they come in and they're a little stiff yeah um but three for sure was fun the last episode was really fun for me too you go back to a planet the that we visited ep- a lot it was really good yeah there is a cut before um it goes black where you just see the the legs and hear someone walking up to something um, a lot of speculation around who that is, but if it is who I think it is, I'm going to honestly probably, um, just completely cease to exist and you'll never see me again because I would be so excited. Yeah. Time will tell. I guess, uh, every Friday a new episode comes out. We're five episodes deep and I think this goes for what? It goes eight total. Yeah. It'll be done by the end of the year, I yeah. think, um, right after Christmas, but I'm sure since it's been so wildly successful, they'll give us a new season quickly, hopefully. The problem about these things sometimes is it just takes time to shoot and edit and everything like that. Obviously, Star Wars are shooting on crazy locations, so um, whether or not they're filming right now, I hope they are. But um, if not, I know we're getting an Obi-Wan series soon. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Ewan McGregor is coming back. That's crazy. Um, to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. He'll so, actually be old. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be Hopefully, that will be... Uh, showing us what's been going on there. There's a huge gap between Obi-Wan in the original trilogy and Obi-Wan in the prequel trilogy. Uh, let's see how he grays out and how he grows and all that good stuff. Totally. And if you're still listening to this and you haven't seen The Mandalorian because of, for whatever reason, maybe you're not like a huge Star Wars junkie or whatever, honestly, you should watch it. The episodes are stu- super bite-sized. They're like 25 minutes long if you don't include like the credits and stuff. And they're super accessible. Like my mom, <laughs> my mom's watched them with my dad and they've enjoyed them a ton. My mom, is, I mean, they both... Well, they've seen all the Star Wars movies, but it's not like they're like junkies or anything. But uh, I mean, there's 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 something in the show for everybody, and so um, it's, if you have access to it, it's definitely worth giving it a watch. Watch the Mandalorian. Um, just going to round up. I've seen a lot of movies lately. Ford versus Ferrari was great. Uh, Jojo Rabbit was great. Joker was dark. Joker was very dark. We've talked a little bit about the Joker. Don't be a bully. <laughs> Don't be a bully, everybody. Um, shout out to Martin Scorsese and the Irishman on Netflix. That's accessible to you right now. If you have Netflix, go watch it. It's three and a half hours long. I don't care. I don't want to hear about it. It's great. Um, shout out to those actors they brought in together. Um, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and, uh, did I say Robert De Niro? Yes. Al Pacino. Um, and Al Pacino, Martin Scorsese, all four back together, probably one last time. It's kind of a eulogy to gangster movies, so you need to see that. Uh, saw It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I haven't seen that fantastic if you have any sort of daddy issues it'll make you cry but it's great (laughs) (laughs) um and then what else did i see i saw another one i'm forgetting knives out knives out thank you um actually i'm mad at myself that i didn't remember that one because it was probably my favorite before i've been talking about knives out is a fantastic whodunit where everything's tied in together it's definitely one that you're going to want to see more than once 
Um, if you love people doing outrageous things and outrageous accents and families that just make you laugh and feel good about your family, go see Knives Out. I still need to see it. It's great. Um, anything else, Berg? We've been we're close to 50 minutes here. It's a yeah. good a good sized podcast. Anything else you want to say for your birthday? You have a pedestal right now, 30 years. Um, shed some sage wisdom on us, young 20-somethings. Honestly, not to be cheesy, but I'm nothing but grateful for everybody that's listening. Chances are you're probably pretty close in one way or another to me. And so shout out to your friendship and to the way you've shaped my life. And it's been a good 30 years. And I look forward to the next however many there are. Who knows? But I hope uh, hope the next 30 are as good as the last one. Life will be pretty good. So from a sentimental aspect, that's where I'm at. Berg, shout out to you on your birthday. Hope Thanks, it's, dude. Hope it's a good one. Uh, we got to go watch the Timberwolves play some, or the Jazz beat the Timberwolves in some basketball. So, shout out Jazz. We're going to get a win tonight. Let's go. Jazz Twitter, if they win, uh, express as much love as you do hate. Amen. Yep. So, to recap, we're not worried. We'll be the torchbearers of optimism. If you seek optimism in a dark, dark place, let us know. We'll help you out offline. And, yeah, if we don't, uh, obviously, we're two weeks before Christmas officially is today. And life gets crazy, so if we don't talk to you guys before Christmas, Come on, it's lovely weather for us, they're out together.